I absolutely love being a photographer, but one of the things I dislike the most is file management and constant tech issues that I run into on the back end when I am processing files through Lightroom or backing up these files, or the part that bothers me the most is when I'm trying to locate files months down the road, and I just cannot find where they are. I don't know if any of you can relate to these tech issues, but I knew that I needed an expert to turn to when it comes to mastering this and really tackling this file management. And so I asked my friend Nathan Holritz to come on the show, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this interview. Nathan is an entrepreneur based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's a former wedding photographer. He did that for over a decade, and now he is the founder and CEO at Photographer's Edit and the host of the Boca podcast. In his free time, Nathan enjoys spending time with his two children, his family, and his friends. He also enjoys reading, listening to podcasts, playing soccer, and riding motorcycles. So if you are ready to quit pulling out your hair when it comes to file management, or you just want to have simple workflows that just enhance your business even more and make this part of your business super seamless, you're going to love today's episode. And just as a quick disclaimer, Nathan shares a lot of really incredible information and his exact workflow for certain things. So Don't worry about taking a crazy amount of notes. We will be sure to link his resources that he mentions in the show notes. And we also have a transcription of this entire episode so that you'll be able to see step-by-step exactly what he is talking about. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Mama, welcome back to the Purpose Gathering Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Freehan, and I'm here for all you mom photographers out there feeling overwhelmed trying to raise a thriving family and build a profitable business you love. I'm a business and motherhood coach, brand photographer, podcaster, wife, and homeschooling mama saved by grace, so I can totally relate to the never-ending to-do lists endless hours of editing, and the trail of messes strewn across the floor. Join me every week where I share with you the strategies and mindset shifts that you need to step into the role as CEO in your motherhood and your business. If you're ready to get off the sidelines, take some serious action, and embrace hard things for the sake of growth, then you're in the right place. Hey, Nathan, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here today and cannot wait to talk to you about some of the behind the computer tech troubles that I hear so many photographers struggling with. But before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and who you live with? Hey, Ashley, thanks for having me on the show. And yeah, I know it's for some listening in, it maybe is a little bit of a nerdy topic, but the funny thing is, we all have to deal with it. And the less efficient that we are in managing that aspect of our workflow, 
uh, well, the more time that we have to spend behind a computer. And I know as a business owner, that's the last thing that I want. So hopefully this will be helpful to some listening in today. Yes, absolutely. I'm so excited to dive in. So uh, I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and um, I'm a single dad, two kids, one of whom is actually at college. I, I don't see him as much now. His name is Austin. He's 20 years old. He's a sophomore at UTK studying jazz saxophone. And then um, my daughter, Addison, is a junior in high school, a local high school here, and she's on the nursing track and for some time now has been very confident in the fact that this is what she's going to do. So it's pretty cool to to see that, to watch that, and just ultimately watch her grow up. I'm, I'm really proud of her. Uh, my day-to-day -day life kind of revolves around, as far as work goes, revolves around running Photographer's Edit, my editing company that I started back in 2008. And I also host the Boca podcast, over 500 episodes of content centered around helping photographers build sustainable businesses. And uh, then we're in the process right now also of development or in development and the process of launching a brand new company, hopefully going live in May or June of this year. Top secret. That's Can't say a whole awesome. lot. <laughs> That's so exciting. I was going to say, I think I first heard about you from Photographer's Edit, but I'm not sure that I knew the name behind the owner of the company, but I heard great things about Photographer's Edit and I have used it for a while and then heard about the Boca podcast and didn't realize the two were connected. So it's so great that we were able to connect through that. Well, it's the podcast is ultimately something that I started about five years ago as a means kind of selfishly to connect or reconnect with the industry. I'd gone through some stuff personally and had been a bit disconnected from the industry for a while. I wanted to reconnect, have conversations with photographers and ultimately be able to add value. I'd had the opportunity having been in the industry now for about 20 years, it's kind of crazy to have individual conversations with photographers over the years and help them with different elements of their business. But the podcast allows me to do that at scale, which is really cool. And then, of course, it's a soft sell, an opportunity to soft sell whatever brand or brands I'm involved with. But um, yeah, there's just so much content there that I think will be super valuable for photographers, whether they're early in their business or maybe even been around for a few years. Yes. Awesome. I will obviously be sure to link that in the show notes because it is such a wealth of knowledge. Um, it has been so fun to binge some of those now that now that I know about it. Um, <laughs> but I would love to hear a little bit about your journey sort of leading up to where you got to today. So, you know, I assume that you started as a photographer somewhere down the line, but maybe you can just share with us a little bit about how your journey has kind of led you to where you are today. Sure. I started in photography back in 2001. So this is back in the film days. It was something of a hobby at that point. And uh, in, in fact, I had a camera. I had taken some pictures, some portraits of friends and pictures of flowers. I guess the kind of like stereotypical things that you do when you first get started in photography. My, my wife at the time put together a portfolio of images for me as a gift these images that I'd taken of these various subjects. And then a friend of mine who I worked with saw that portfolio, recommended me to his friends. And uh, I photographed my first wedding, I guess about in 2001, 350 bucks lost money because we were shooting in film and I had like 10 rolls of film I had to go get developed. But that was my start into photography. Long story short, here in the Chattanooga market, it, it was a pretty traditional market. And there was an opportunity ultimately to create a more 
what we referred to at the time as contemporary, but more journalistic style of photography that was popular in California at the time, the West Coast, but not so much in the South or the Southeast. So it was a cool opportunity to create something that was unique. And uh, I photographed professionally for about 10 years. During that time, uh, again, 2008 is when I started Photographer's Edit. But during that time, I saw the opportunity in the industry to, to launch an editing service, partially because I needed it. And also just because I saw a business opportunity, the, the other companies that were getting involved in the editing industry, largely too complicated, too pricey, um, the leader in particular at that time, very much the case. I mean, six to $800 to have a wedding processed. And that just isn't wow. reasonable for most photographers, right? So I wanted to come up with a simpler, more affordable solution for post-production work for wedding photographers or portrait photographers. I was a wedding photographer, so that was particularly important to me. It was you know, 30, 40 weddings a year. The post-production associated with that gets just super tedious. And so 2008 is when we launched Photographer's Edit. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the book of podcasts about five years ago as a means of not only connecting with the industry, but ultimately adding value to the industry as well. That's awesome. So this wasn't a question that I had planned to ask you, but I just think I can hear like so many photographers. I'm like in their head right now thinking of like, oh, that sounds nice. Like being able to like outsource my editing, that sounds nice. But like, yeah. how do I know when I'm ready to do that? And then also, how do I release that control? You know, I know a lot of photographers, they feel like the most creative process is in the editing. And so I know personally my answer now having worked for you, but I'd love to hear from your perspective, like how do you sort of combat that, you know, question that I guess a lot of photographers would have, like, how do I give up that control? Yeah. I like to kind of go deep and philosophical and answer to questions because it'd be easy for me to just throw out kind of little tips and tricks as it relates to the idea of outsourcing editing. And we can go there, but I would start first with something that I talk about quite a bit on my podcast, which is called a big picture view. Uh, there was a book that I read a number of years ago called Time Management from the Inside Out, written by Julie Morgenstern. And she talks in that book about how the most successful people in life have a big picture view that enables them to rise above the chaos, maintain perspective. And that's huge, right? I mean, and I know this firsthand as a photography business owner, it's easy to get lost in what it is that we do day in and day out. And so trying to make decisions about how we spend our money and ultimately our time can be a little bit complicated at times if we don't have an overarching set of goals, that big picture view that drives what it is that we're doing. So in answer to your question, I would actually come back with another question for those listening in who are curious about this. I would actually ask, what is it that you want out of your life? And I know that's a really big question, but, but truly, what is it that you want out of your life? Number one. Number two, as a result of that, like, what are you trying to accomplish with your life as far as time goes, as far as your finances go, because those are really the two, I think, driving factors when it comes to why we even run a business in the first place. So you want a particular lifestyle. A lot of that centers around the amount of freedom that we have time-wise, the freedom that we have financially. And hopefully with those goals in mind, we're creating businesses that enable us to meet those financial and time goes bo goals both. So I know personally, as a, as a business owner, I'm not, I'm not like the Gary Vaynerchuk of the photography industry. I don't want to work 80 hours a week. That's just not, there's more to life than work. And so if I want to create a business for myself that enables me to make the living that I want to financially, but also to have time left over, 
then that is going to drive my choices. And one of those choices that I have as a photography business owner is to be able to delegate, well, a number of things in my business, the most time consuming of which is editing, right? I mean, the average wedding photographer spends, I would say probably 12 to 16 hours based on conversations that I've had with photographers over the years. And that that's even conservative in some cases, even if it's eight hours a wedding and you're shooting 20, 30 weddings a year, that is a lot of time that you're just sitting behind the computer doing something that sure it has to be done, but it's busy work. It doesn't ultimately drive revenue. It doesn't increase your bottom, bottom line. So if I can delegate this thing that is the most time consuming element of my business and focus my time, effort, and energy on those activities that will actually grow my business, number one, and then two, it'll free me up so that I can spend more time with the important people in my life. Then again, based on my goals, my financial goals, my time goals, it's a win-win. And yeah, it does mean I have to give up control, but there's this kind of misnomer that I think is, is I mean, at this stage, it's kind of funny, actually, from the outside looking in, having been a photographer, a photographer, by the way, I mean, part of the reason that I, I needed an outsource or needed to outsource my editing was because I was so OCD about my editing. So I understand what it feels like to, to want to control things. But we're, we're trying to control something to create this notion of perfection that really is only important to us in the end. And 95% of our clients don't see those kind of nuanced differences between how we might edit an image versus how somebody else might edit an image. And this is not a conversation about compromising quality. We're talking about tiny, tiny, tiny little differences on a slider, right? Exactly. And so the idea that giving that control, the control of that process up to somebody else to manage, and that's going to somehow cause our business to suffer just very simply is a misnomer because most clients aren't looking at those images the way that we do. So when it comes to making a decision to outsource your editing, certainly look at the bigger picture view, trying to try to figure out what it is that you're trying to accomplish with your life. And as a result with the business model and making a decision about outsourcing your editing would be much easier. Uh, but then keep that, that healthy, realistic perspective in mind, which is that your perspective about your images, not the same as your clients. And again, it doesn't mean that we're compromising in quality. It just means an understanding that a slight difference, a slight nuance difference, if there is any, uh, in fact, is not going to make a difference in whether or not your brand succeeds or not. Thank you so much for going deeper about the bigger picture, because that is something that I think so many photographers don't think about. We mm. tend to, as you said, just stay really busy in the day to day and we have that hard time looking at the bigger picture as a CEO would, which I talk a lot about on this podcast. But I also wanted to add, because when I bring up the idea of outsourcing editing, I think a lot of people don't realize that you can set custom profiles and that you can actually, the way that I do it is I just set um, key images from certain mm -hmm. parts of the day where the lighting changed and I edit a key image the way that I want it edited. And then your team uses that edit to match all the rest of the photos. And again, as you said, saves me and my OCD brain so much time because <laughs> it used to take me forever to edit. And I was like, why am I spending so much time, as you mentioned, on something that my clients won't even notice? It's so ridiculous. Like I would look at my before and after sometimes and be like, I mean, there's not much of a change. Like, why am I spending so much time? <laughs> yeah. And just having that ability to be like, okay, you know what? I am doing my clients a service by allowing this to be taken off my plate because now they're getting their photos back faster 
because I'm not so stressed about trying to get them done on my own time. So I just wanted to mention that because I know this slows so many photographers down and it's just been a huge game changer in my business. Well, and I'm glad that you brought up the the reality, which is that we can get that customized look when we delegate our editing. I'm doing a bad job of selling my company, but that's literally our brand position is custom editing for the professional photographer. So yeah, we absolutely will match photographers editing style. So we're not talking about massive compromises and you know shifting your style dramatically because you're just handing it off to somebody who's randomly color correcting your images. You truly can upload, share your editing style with our team. We process accordingly or do exactly what you were saying, Ashley, which is to process a few reference images in the Lightroom catalog. You send that catalog to our team. They process based on those reference images. So yeah, this the, the, the so-called compromise, again, if there is even one, I mean, the feedback that we get from photographers, they're like, oh my word, you edit my pictures better than I can. Exactly. Um, yes. that's, the, that's the level of editing that we offer. But yeah, if, if there is a compromise, it is highly, highly nuanced. I have to tell this story though, too, because this is also kind of, when I think about perspective again, and really life is about perspective, right? Um, I have behind me, I know we're not on video for, for the listeners, but behind me, this is my refrigerator uh, in my kitchen a little ways away. And I've got a, a gobs of snapshots of me with my kids, um, with my girlfriend, with you know, friends or family, lots of people, people that are important to me. And these snapshots were, I think, pretty much all taken on a phone of some kind, you know, selfie image printed on a Fuji Instax printer. They're not color corrected. Some of them aren't sharp. Uh, the framing isn't perfect. And honestly, none of that matters to me. The guy who was the OCD professional photographer who <laughs> shot, you know, seven, $10,000 weddings for high end clients who owns an editing company and has for 14 years or so now. And still that stuff does not matter to me because I, I just love having those images that represent important relationships in my life. So keep, keep it in perspective and that'll make a really big difference. Yes. I love that you share that story because that is so true. We, as professional photographers, spend too much time really focusing on, I think, things that slow us down and that really don't matter in the end. And we need to increase our relationships with our clients and other people around us. I feel like before we spend hours and hours behind our computer, you know, just like you said, with those tiny little slider, you know, changes, which don't matter. So I, I appreciate that story. Thank you. So in addition to editing, I do feel like the one of the most frustrating aspects of photography is the file storage organization and just like computer optimization. I hear that from a lot of photographers that, you know, my hard drives are too full. My computer runs slow. I don't know what to do. What do you suggest? And this is honestly not my biggest strong point either. My husband is the one that takes care of all of yeah. my like backend stuff because I, it just doesn't come naturally to me. So I know that a lot of the listeners can totally relate. So I'm wondering if you can share with us like, where do you recommend photographers start when it comes to file storage? And yeah. then maybe you can sort of share some additional things to consider as photographers grow and they need more space. I think, first of all, I, I'm going to use a word here, and, and I, I kind of made fun of this earlier. And it, it's just, this whole topic is going to feel somewhat nerdy to, to some people. And they're like, oh, if I, like, I just put the files in my hard drive in my computer. And they make jokes about how their, their desktop, when you open their computer, is just a chaos, you know, the files are just kind of dropped there and they have to dig through and try to figure out where something is. 
Um, I get it. I get all the jokes. In fact, we even at one point had a, a brand and a podcast a number of years ago that was called I Have a Life. And, and a lot of it was geared around creating a workflow that would give us more freedom, allow mm-hmm. us to actually live life as business owners. It didn't really take. And there could be multiple reasons for that. But I think part of it, too, is just the topic itself isn't super sexy. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to my point earlier about a big picture view, if our goal as business owners is, is at least partially to have more freedom, I mean, I, I, I would venture that some element, element of motivation um, around time is involved in everybody's kind of reasoning for starting their own business, right? They understand at the very least that being their own boss means they can have more freedom. And part of getting to the place where you have more freedom is creating systems. And this is the word I was going to get to, systems that enable us to be able to get things done more efficiently. And believe it or not, even something as simple as managing the files that are on our laptops or desktops or external hard drives or in the cloud, there isn't a system or a set of systems that we can establish that will enable us to manage that part of our workflow more efficiently. So that instead of spending you know, an extra five, 10, 15 minutes here and there having to look for a file, literally in seconds, you can go where you need to. And that type of freedom and that flexibility, I mean, it kind of multiplies over time. When you think about a year of not spending an extra five or 10 or 15 minutes here and there looking for stuff, knowing that you've got files backed up and where they're backed up, um, not only does it help, of course, give us a, an ease of mind, but ultimately we can function a lot more efficiently. So I would say the first thing, just kind of big picture, is to come up with a system or understand the significance of a system, which very simply we could define today as a workflow that we follow consistently. We literally would write out in a piece of paper or and I use Evernote for document management for note taking. We could type out a list of steps that we follow each and every time we go to do that particular thing, in this case, file management. And then we follow that consistently. So there's never a question of what we're supposed to do. We always know where everything lives because we're following this workflow that we've created, the system that we've created. And I think it's important to start there. The other thing I'll add is I think part of the reason that that photographers are apprehensive when it comes to the idea of a system is, you know, it feels it feels super structured, like it's forcing them into something that is maybe in some cases complicated. And in the past, I think there has been teaching in the photography industry around file management that has been unnecessarily complicated. We're not talking about creating a complicated system here. We want simplicity. We want something that's logical. And that's kind of the end goal with with a system like this. So I'll, I'll start with that as a baseline. Yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate that too, because that is something that has like slowed me down from just getting started was just the idea of it being so much work. And typically when I'm working and this is what happens, I'm in the middle of editing or trying to upload photos and it's like, disk space full. And I'm just like, why? (laughs) Like, I don't have time. And I'm always calling my husband and he's like, you need to have a process of like, how are you offloading your photos? And I'm like, I don't know, but I don't have time for that right now. Like right now I'm editing a session or I need to be like Mm. working on the catalog. And I can't because my file, like my whole system is full. And so I think that's the thing is like, it's just, it feels complicated for me and it's hasn't been a system regularly for me to know, okay, this is what you do. As soon as you upload a new, you know, catalog, this is what you should be doing with the old ones from last month or whatever. So 
Can you walk us through maybe like a simple strategy as as uh, beginners in this? I know we might not be beginners in you know photography, but just beginners in this system. Yeah, sure. And again, this is super simple. We're, I'm going to talk about tools and well, really just tools that we are all familiar with in one form or another. So this, this doesn't have to be complicated. The first thing that I would do is suggest just for the sake of basic file management on our computer, create a really simple and logical, intuitive folder structure. And even that, saying that phrase, I know it sounds super nerdy, but this this helps just to begin with. And I actually don't keep anything on my desktop, we'll call it 98% of the time. Right now, my desktop is totally clear of anything but you know our, our window here where we're talking. And so that, I think it, it encourages, at least for me anyway, clarity of mind when it comes to sitting down to get work done. I don't have 68 different things on my desktop that is that are distracting me. I'm gonna go somewhere, a very specific place to find a particular thing to get a particular task done. And, and that's super helpful. So that's the significance of systems. But when it comes to actually looking through my folders, I'm just, I'll just describe this very, very quickly here. Um, most of what I interact with resides in Dropbox. And um, in fact, I'll just go ahead and mention off the top, anything that's document related, receipts, uh, contracts, individual notes, copies of articles, whatever it might be, but anything document related goes into Evernote. I've used Evernote now for, I think, well over 10 years. I've got over 16,000 documents in it. And so there's a lot of information there that is also super organized in different folders that I can go pull from. I can pull the data from, information from. But all of my documents go into Evernote. Any other types of files go into Dropbox. And so when I am going to go to the folders on my desktop, they're also synced with Dropbox. So I have this folder called Dropbox that I go to. In that folder, I have, let's see, one, two, three, six, seven, seven or eight folders here. One is called to-do. So literally, if I have a task that is associated with a particular file, I would drop it in there. The next folder is camera uploads. And we'll talk about this in a little bit, but when it comes to managing all the photos on my phone, Dropbox has this really cool system, essentially automated system that synchronizes all the photos on my phone with Dropbox. And that's where by default, all those photos go. Data, um, again, super nerdy stuff here, but for example, backups of uh, my Google files, Google Calendar, Google Contacts, um, my bookmarks from the various browsers, um, Text Expander, which is a, a keyboard shortcut system that I use. I can back up the data from that. So I can always pull it back up if need be. But this is where I put data. Uh, DMG, again, kind of nerdy, but these are installation files. If I ever need to go back and pull an installation file for a program, I, I use Mac. Um, this is where I would go to pull to pull installation files if I haven't downloaded it from the App Store. Multimedia, and I'll come back to that in a second because that's kind of broad. I have a personal folder and a number of folders within that personal folder that are organized uh, pretty logically. And then screenshots. I'm a little bit of an obsessive screenshot taker. And the way that Dropbox works, at least on the Mac, is that I can set it up in such a way that when I take a screenshot, automatically any screenshots go into this folder and they're backed up to Dropbox. And with all of the, the work that I do and sometimes pretty important purchases that I'm making or otherwise, I can very quickly with a keyboard shortcut, take a screenshot and that goes into that folder. I can always copy it from that folder to somewhere else or pull it out or mark it up or whatever I need to do with it. But I have this backup of screenshots. So those are the primary folders in my Dropbox. And then back to the multimedia folder, again, just brief 
uh, description of the folders here, audio, graphics, photo, video. Those are kind of the top folders. I actually have them asterisk. So they naturally sit at the top of that folder list. Um, code, if I need to back up any kind of development code for a website or an app or otherwise, I've got a folder for that. Uh, probably not relevant to most, but that option's there. Downloads, Photoshop actions. Uh, and within that folder, I also have Lightroom presets. Presentations, um, anytime I speak, and I've spoken a number of times at different conferences over the years, I have all my presentations in that folder. And then I have two folders of shared content with those that I am able that, that I work with. So I can invite people to these folders to access those on my team to access files through those two folders. I don't want to share everything on my Dropbox or on my computer with everybody or even with the people on my team, but there are certain files that I want them to have easy access to. So within those folders are other folders and subfolders, but I can just give somebody on my team access to that shared folder and they're able to get in there and access those files and update the, the folders and so forth. So that's that's kind of the, the, the basic organizational structure. I could go even further. I mean, they, they go much deeper, but that's kind of the, the gist of the, the file structure. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I have a couple of follow-up questions. So as you're using Dropbox, do you use that to store? And I know you're not like actively shooting weddings right now, right? I don't think so. Um, yeah. But if you were, is that is that where you would save your photos as well? So for that workflow, and, and I, I guess there are a couple of things um, that I'll mention here. Number one, all of those files that are backed up into these Dropbox folders, uh, the majority, if not all of them, will also get backed up into uh, onto an external hard drive, which goes into my FireSafe. And um, I like the external drives that I use are called Samsung T5. They're very small, solid state drives. Uh, I think they sell up to a two terabyte drive. So they're, despite the fact that you could literally just slide them in your pocket, nobody would even notice it was there. They have quite a bit of capacity. They're super reliable and um, also easy to store because they're so small. So versus a, what can be a very complicated, you know, RAID system, like a lot of photographers or some photographers might use, I prefer just to go to individual external hard drives and I can mark them and I could even catalog those, each of those external drives I have in the past actually with my photography workflow, catalog those so that I know exactly where client files are on the various external hard drives. Um, but to your to your point, if uh, just a very simple workflow, if I was photographing actively and what I would recommend to the listeners, um, when they go shoot a session, bring those files back, download them to, to their computer, laptop, desktop, or otherwise, have again, a very specific location in that folder structure on their hard drive where they're going to go ahead and put those files. I would then immediately copy those to the external hard drive, which goes into the fire safe. And then I would also make sure that, that the, any of the files that are going on those external hard drives are also backed up to the cloud. You could use a service, for example, like Carbonite uh, to back up those external hard, hard drives so that you not only have a localized version that you can work on if you're doing your own editing or just need to be able to manage your own files, you've got that in your computer. Um, then those files are backed up to an external drive that sit in a fire safe, not just you know sitting around my apartment or my house, but in a fire safe. And then those files are also backed up to the cloud. So I've got multiple backups and then I can work on the files that are there on my laptop or my desktop as needed and my assumption would be, as long as a photographer is staying on top of the workflow, those files are going to be 
processed and managed and delivered to the client within a couple of weeks or so, so they can then be deleted. After you confirm that the files are, are backed up, um, then you can delete those from your laptop, from your hard drive, your desktop hard drive, and that will help minimize the chance that the hard drive is, is filling up. Um, this, this all just is about simple systems and then proactivity. And if you, if you have a process that you follow each and every time, you can see none of these processes are complicated, just a matter of doing it consistently every single time, you'll be good to go. I love that you mentioned this because simplicity is really, I feel like where, where I'm lacking and where I think a lot of other photographers can feel that too, is like just creating a super simple, easy to follow process that can ensure that this doesn't happen. And I think what I, and I'm, I'm a very organized person. I feel like outside of technology, I don't know for whatever reason, when it comes to the file storage aspect, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but if I just applied the same principles, it really is not that difficult. So it's coming up with the system first and then second, actually scheduling it like scheduling time in your calendar to do these things because it does take time, you know, especially if you haven't done this before, offloading photos from your computer onto an external hard drive takes time. You can't do like eight weddings at one time without it obviously using up a lot of your, you know, memory and RAM and stuff in your computer. So I feel like One of the things too that, and I do to your point earlier, I use a external RAID system. So when I import my photos, I import them directly to the RAID system. So I always have a backup of the original files. And then obviously as I'm doing the edits and getting the edits back from you guys and then doing my own tweaks, um, I'm saving that as well. But I think, and maybe you can help clarify this. I think that I'm saving delivered photos for way too long. I know that was a question I had asked my community. What are your questions for Nathan? Because I know this is a struggle. And one of them, one of them specifically asked, how long do I hold on to like archived images? So, you know, I have wedding images from clients that I've done, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. And like, that's still taking up a lot of space on my external hard drive. So at what point would you say, it's okay to, to delete, like, would you, would you consider deleting all the way? <laughs> and like, I wouldn't how do honestly. you do it? No, okay. and, and we, we still have, uh, I think it's storage somewhere, film, and then certainly files backed up on, on uh, hard drives from, you know, clients 15 years ago or more. Uh, so I personally wouldn't here, here's the thing that, and storage is so cheap, right? The fact that I can buy and I'm holding my fingers up here, but essentially a credit card size hard drive, these Samsung T5 drives. I'm not sponsored by them or anything, but I'm just, I'm obsessed with them because they're simple, they're reliable, and they perform so well. So 200 bucks gets me a two terabyte hard drive. Now I realize that some of you that are shooting a lot and with cameras that that produce really, really large file sizes, it's going to, they're going to fill up relatively quickly, but we're talking two terabytes. So the idea that I can back up a set of processed images from a wedding, it might be what, I don't know, three, four gig, maybe five, six gig worth of files um, that I can easily back that up to an external hard drive that's literally the size of a credit card, stick that in a fire safe. I don't really have to think about the fact that it's taking up any storage or space because the actual hard drive storage is cheap, one, 
and the size of the hard drives now have come down so small. And that's part of the reason that I'm I'm not personally a big fan. We used a RAID system, by the way. Uh, but at this point, I'm not a huge fan of the RAID system because it, if I want to actually put it in a safe, now that takes up a ton of space and that gets complicated. The fire safe that I have isn't super big, and but but I could store just gobs of these hard drives in there and know that you know if something does happen, if if there's you know an actual fire that that burns the apartment down or the house down, um, or even if there's smoke and water damage, that these hard drives in a RAID system or otherwise that would normally just be sitting out are actually protected quite well in that fire safe. In addition, of course, to the to the cloud backups. Um, so I would encourage anybody just to go ahead and keep them. We're not talking about a lot of files and you never know when you might be able to go back and either resell images if you want to, or you know something just as beautiful and wonderful as a, a client from five years ago calls you and says, hey, my, my father just passed away. And I'm just wondering if there, you have any other images from the wedding day or from that portrait session that we could use in his memorial coming up. The idea that we can just very quickly, if we're organized, go pull that hard drive, pull the files off, and of course, give them to the client. Um, just the impact that you can have with something as simple as that, I think is is really, really great. Um, so that's my initial thought there. But if, you, if you'd like, Ashley, I can dig just a little bit deeper into just the, the, the workflow. When we were talking about bringing files home from a shoot, kind of what to do next, do you want me to describe that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, that'd be great. Just very quickly. I, and I... I know that we're kind of uh, summarizing a lot here. We could this could easily be like a two or three hour podcast, maybe if if we got into it really deep. So I don't want to oversimplify, but I also don't want to leave out any important details. Again, the cool thing about this workflow for a photographer is that it doesn't have to be complicated. So if you want, if you're trying to imagine what this would look like on your computer, for those of you listening in, you go out, you do a session, uh, but we'll call it, we'll focus on a portrait session in this case, and you've got let's say 300 files that you bring back from that portrait session. And on your hard drive, your computer hard drive, you're going to have a, an, a folder that you can literally name anything you want, but just make it simple and logical. So for example, clients, I might just name it clients. In that folder, I'm now going to create a new folder. And that folder's name is going to be the client's last name and then a date. Or if, you, you know, if, if there are multiple clients involved, you can always include multiple last names. So Smith and then a date. I use I, I mentioned earlier that I use a, a program called Text Expander, which very quickly enables me to add a date to a file name or a folder name. So I would put the last name and then the date. That's the folder. In that folder, I'm going to have originals. Sometimes we shoot in RAW, sometimes we shoot in JPEG. So I don't even need to be that specific, just originals. That's where I'm going to offload the cards, put all the original files into that folder. And then I would have a second folder that is edited pretty self-explanatory. That's where the finished files are going to go, whether you're outsourcing the editing to photographer's edit or you're doing it yourself. And then I would also put in there, and I could even create an additional folder for this catalog. And I would put the Lightroom catalog file in there. So I can always go back to that if I need to. That's the simple folder structure. You can literally copy paste that to the external hard drive. And that's, that's the file management. Um, so I just wanted to give that as an example, a little bit more specificity because um, some might be wondering, okay, what does this actually look like tangibly? Just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. And just to clarify, when you have your external hard drive, do you take that out of the fire safe each time you're continuing to work and then like copy over like what you just did? Is that what you're saying? So it's like you're basically working off of your 
desktop and then copying whatever edits you made onto the external and then putting that away each time you're done. Is that correct? I'm treating the external drive as a backup. Um, and these, these hard drives that I've mentioned are super quick, but I always want the maximum efficiency if I'm doing anything with my files. So I'd rather work from the files on my, my desktop or my laptop on my computer hard drive than from an external drive. So I'm using that external drive as a backup. And I'm, I've got my active files, those files that need work, they're sitting on my laptop. The laptop that I have now has a terabyte drive. And again, if I'm proactive and I'm consistent in my workflow and I'm you know, pushing files through my workflow over a week to two weeks, a terabyte, a terabyte should be plenty of room to, to be able to house those files temporarily while I'm doing any work that I need to with them before they are then you know, kind of permanently on that external hard drive and then in the cloud for backup. So I would recommend, I'd suggest working on the files on your computer, treating that external drive as a backup source. Okay. And then for the backup source though, like how often are you backing up? I guess that was my question. Is it oh, right I, away? As soon as, yeah, okay. absolutely. Because I always want to make sure I've got at least a second or third version of those original files. And uh, so, yeah, immediately I would back up the originals. Once the edit is done, then the edited files also go, again, then that same, you could literally just copy paste the folder structure onto that external drive. And, um, and that, that's, I would just pull that out as I'm shooting and need to back up or as I get the finished files back and I need to back up. Otherwise that's staying in there. I, I want it to stay in a safe space. Uh, and then I'm anything, any active work that needs to be done are on files on my folder. And then, you know, you can do, you can get as nerdy as you want with this. You could literally set a, a reminder in your, you know, your to do man or to do, uh, excuse me, software task list manager and set a reminder every whatever it might be, Monday or Tuesday for this workflow. I'm going to go in, I'm going to back up all my files, all the edited files that I've gotten back from Photographer's Edit and uh, and make sure that all of my originals are also backed up. You can just double check that. But again, the cool thing is if you keep that, that same file structure mirrored on the laptop, the client folder and everything that's in that client folder mirrored on the external hard drive, you could literally just copy and paste. And then of course, anything that's already on that hard drive, the computer will say, do you want to replace this? And you say, no. So anything that's fresh moves over to that external hard drive and everything else of course is left alone. And it's, again, it's very, very simple. Uh, but I think simple is better when we've got so many different moving parts to keep up with. Yes, totally. And a question that like keeps coming to the surface for me is Lightroom catalogs. Cause you mentioned yeah. that before, like, I don't know why I have such a hard time understanding like where Lightroom catalogs live when I create them, but I always have a really hard time knowing like where, how do I f locate them? How do I make sure that they're linked? Because basically when I am uploading a new session, I have, you know, the original files and then I create a new catalog for like my weddings, but I typically will keep just portraits in my like master catalog. And then I'll export it as a new catalog when I send it to you guys. But then for whatever reason, like I just have a really hard time keeping the Lightroom catalog with the client. And then, you Makes know, sense. Lightroom will be like, I don't know where the files are. How do you locate them? And so I don't know <laughs> if there's time to like go into this a little bit because I know yeah. it's hard when, you know, the listeners are not on video, so we can't show them. But do you have any like advice for us for that? I do. And I'm, yeah, and I'm glad you brought this up actually, because I, I should have been more specific. I would recommend for everybody listening in that you actually create an individual catalog for every single event or portrait session or commercial shoot or whatever it is 
an individual catalog for every shoot for a couple of different reasons. One, for ease of organization, like you were pointing out, Ashley. So for that particular catalog, again, I can create that catalog within that folder structure we talked about, client, Smith, date, and then underneath that, put the actually put that individual catalog in that folder. When I'm done, I just copy it to the external drive. So it's it's good for ease of management and organization, but it's also great. It makes the process of outsourcing editing a lot easier too, because if you've got a, and we worked with plenty of photographers over the years who had kind of a primary catalog that had all their shoots in it, or maybe all of their portrait sessions, they had one, all their weddings, another, maybe they, they create a new one every year, whatever the system, if you've got a lot of different sessions or events in that catalog, it makes it a little bit more complicated trying to sync it up with the original files. And so to minimize the potential for confusion and complication and issues, I would just suggest creating a new catalog every single time you go to process a client's order. So, or a client's um, shoot session event or otherwise. So what that looks like very simply is you go, you open up Lightroom file, new catalog, you, you point Lightroom to where you want that catalog file to live. And it's going to be in that folder that we described. And then you do whatever work you need to do those images, even if it's just exporting it to, uh, or importing the images, building the, the smart previews and exporting those, sharing those with photographers edit. Uh, it's, you go ahead and go through that process there for every single event or session that you photograph and uh, keep an individual catalog for each client. And the cool thing about that, again, is that let's say, for example, a client comes back to you once, uh, you know, they're like, oh my goodness, we loved our pictures a year later, two years later, three years later. They want a 20 by 30 of this particular image from their engagement session or from their wedding or from this family session that you did for them. You can very easily pull that Lightroom catalog back up, connect it to the files. Again, in that same folder structure, they're right there, easy to find. Do the work that you need to in Lightroom connect it to Photoshop, even if you need to, and then export the final image. But you're able to do that because you can go directly to that catalog and easily pull it up. Yeah, that is so helpful. That is two of the problems I've been having is, okay. number one, I'm not creating a new catalog for each individual client. I was hmm. doing that master catalog for each year. Don't know where I heard that, but apparently that's not the right way to do it, Enable be, to be able to find... Sure. Um, well, and I'll, I'll jump in really quick and say, I I don't see it as right and wrong so much as just sim simplicity. This is all right. about simplicity, right? There is an advantage to having a lot of different events, sessions in a catalog in that you can keyword those images and, and easily go through and search and pull up particular types of images to share with vendors, just as one example. So mm -hmm. it's not that there aren't advantages to that. Again, I tend to be a bit of a minimalist and a simplicity freak. And I also am trying to create workflows that make things easier for photographers. So in that uh, in that light um this is what that's why i recommend the the individual catalog yeah and i think to that point i think the person that i learned from did mention that being it like in all the same catalogs so you could keyword it but i've honestly never used that feature <laughs> so i would prefer <laughs> to have the separate so that it's easier to find cuz as you were saying when i'm going back to look for certain you know people's images. That's always the problem I have is because, you know, the catalog has moved somewhere and now I can't find the original files. And it's just, that's sure. been a mess. And that's been yeah. the hardest part. And then the other thing was, I guess I didn't realize this, but in Lightroom, you can tell it where to save that catalog. And I don't think I've, I knew that. I think I was just letting it save to wherever it normally saved. And then I always have a hard time finding where that is. So 
Thank you. For By that. default, I think both on a Mac and a PC, it, it's I know certainly in the Mac, it's saved to your photos folder, your your system or your user within your user folder, there's a photos folder and it, and it's saved to that, uh, by default, but yes, you can, anytime you create a new catalog, you can designate where that catalog gets saved. Um, and that's where the catalog will live. Smart previews will live. Previews will live. If you're generating previews, um, all of that will live where you designate it. That's very helpful. Thank you. And then one more thing I wanted to touch on before we close today is iPhone storage or just phone storage in general. Yeah. Yeah. Because as photographers, you know, social media is really important. And I know for me, I have a lot of videos <laughs> that I take that I want to save and just a lot of personal stuff. Also, I am a screenshot junkie as well. I love screenshots. And then, you know, I can't keep going with my, you know, doing videos for Instagram reels and stuff like that because my phone is full. I can't tell you how many times that has held me back. And yeah. so... I know that you said that you mirror your phone on Dropbox, I think is what you had said, but I'm having yeah, that, a hard makes... time getting the photos off my phone and saved somewhere else. So can you also do that with Dropbox? You can. Yeah. And you know, just on a base level, I think the phone that I've got now has a terabyte hard drive. So having, getting the you know biggest possible hard drive you can for your phone, also super helpful. But the that the workflow that I have that I, I'm not always a stickler for the timeline, but the workflow that I've established for myself is to back up photos every month. And this is kind of what the process looks like. Um, so first of all, if I'm, if I'm taking pictures, I'm saving screenshots, you know, files offline to my camera roll on my phone, that camera roll is set to back up to Dropbox. Anytime Dropbox is opened up and I'm on Wi-Fi. And so on a regular basis, I'll open, because I have to use Dropbox anyway, I'll, but I'll open Dropbox and it will sync the files since the last time it, it synced. It'll sync the files to Dropbox. And as I mentioned earlier, it's actually uploading into a folder called Camera Uploads. That's the default location anyway that it will upload to. And that's where it does um, both in the cloud. And I also have access to that folder on my desktop. So through you know whatever, if it's a month or two months, three months, maybe at the longest, usually a month to two months. As those photos are taken, um, they're synced to Dropbox. It lives not only in the cloud on my phone, but then also in that camera uploads folder on my hard drive because Dropbox is synced to my hard drive on my computer. At the end of a month, and the month is kind of the established time frame for my workflow, but maybe two months in some cases. At that point, what I'll do is I'll actually go to Dropbox online well, first of all, I'll make sure that all the files are backed up. I'll actually export them from my phone to my desktop into a folder called iPhone ending and then the date. And I've been doing this now for, for years. So I've got, I actually have photos and folders going back to, I think, 2014 or something ridiculous like that. But anyway, at, at the end of the, the month or two months, I'll hook the, the phone up to my laptop. I use, I think it's called Image Capture. Um, let's see. Yeah. Image capture on my Mac. I'm sure there's something comparable for PC and I'll import the images from my phone and it'll naturally delete them as I'm importing. It will delete them from my, my phone. It'll import them in onto a folder on my desktop. And I named that iPhone ending and the date, by the way, this is after making sure that they've all already synced to, to Dropbox. So now they're in the cloud. Um, and they are also exported. I have a hard copy that I'm going to put on one of those external hard drives and put it in my fire safe. So I've got a hard copy of that. 
uh, on my external hard drive in my safe. They're backed up to the cloud. They're still sitting in that camera uploads folder in the cloud. And of course, I'm going to continue this workflow. So what I'll do at this point is I'll go to Dropbox Online and I'll, and I'll create the folder named exactly the same way that I just did for my external hard drive, iPhone ending and the date. And I grab all the photos in my camera, that the camera uploads folder on Dropbox, and I move them. You can select all and then choose to move those, fo those files over to that folder, iPhone ending and the date. And so now I've got, I can go to these individual folders and I know I have a timeline of when those images were taken. Um, those, those files, as I mentioned, reside in external hard drives on my, or an external hard drive on my, uh, the, excuse me, in the fire safe. But then I can also reference them in the cloud. Dropbox is cool in that you can selectively sync. So I choose not to sync the, who knows how many gig worth of files to the hard drive on my computer all the time. Um, because it would take up a lot of space. So I can ref I can go to those in the cloud if I ever have to pull them from the cloud. Um, I also have them as an external backup in my hard drive. And that's that's the workflow. I just repeat that every month or two. And it keeps everything backed up. And it also helps minimize the, the amount of storage taken up on my phone. That's so helpful. Thank you so much, Nathan. That is something that Again, it's one of those things of like, you have to be proactive about it because once it happens, like once your storage on your computer, your laptop, your phone, once it's already full, it's just so annoying. Like, I don't want to stop <laughs> yeah. what I'm doing and implement this new workflow. Like, but I just keep putting it off and putting it off. So you've, you've inspired me to just be proactive, make it really simple and just stay consistent every single month, backing up the photos and having that external and with a fire safe. I love that. I need to get a fire safe. My husband has like a gun safe, but it's too far away for me to actually use it. You know, I need sure. one like right next to my computer. So yeah. thank you so much, Nathan. This has been so helpful. Um, I would love for you to share with everyone where they can, where you hang out the most and how they can connect with you and learn more about Photographer's Edit. Sure. If you just go to Photographer's Edit, just like it sounds, .com. Uh, you can you can find us all the information about our editing services there. Boca B O K E H podcast .com, or really the probably the best thing to do is just to search Boca B O K E H podcast on literally anywhere you can imagine Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, all the podcast players, and then um, Instagram Nathan Holritz and A T H A N H O L R I T Z on Instagram. If you want to follow me personally, and and feel free to DM me if you've got any questions. If there's anything I can do to help. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nathan. This was so helpful. That was a privilege. Thank you, Ashley. Oh my gosh, friend. Was that not incredibly helpful? I know that your head might be spinning right now because there was so much incredible information in there and you want to start putting everything into practice. But just as a reminder, Everything is going to be linked in the show notes, along with that transcription I mentioned at the beginning, so that you'll be able to go back through and read specifically what he recommended. Now, of course, my favorite part of the podcast episode is really making sure that you take action. So as you leave here today, I want you to make a promise to yourself that you are going to set aside time in your day probably in the next couple of days, to start implementing some of this information that you are learning. I would hate for you to learn all of this incredible information and then completely forget to implement it. So now, 
these workflows can only help if you make it a part of your business structure. So set aside some time for yourself to go through this. One of the main things that I started implementing immediately after our interview was to create those separate catalogs and actually tell Lightroom where to save it. So now my file structure looks very different. I know where all of my catalogs are saved because they are in the folder with the client name. So that's just a really simple way for you to set this up. Now, Some of the other workflows are going to be a little bit more, you know, time intensive, but it's really important that you also create standing work blocks in your schedule for you to update this type of stuff. So just making sure that every month you have that time set aside to back up your phone and make sure that you are copying the files off your phone. Also, same thing with your actual client files, that you are backing those up onto an external hard drive, putting that into a fire safe, making sure you have your cloud storage backup, and um, just really getting those systems into place is going to be so beneficial and helpful. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to take a screenshot of it, share it out on Instagram. I'm sure that there are other mamas just like you who can benefit from these simple tech workflows as well. And tag me at The Purpose Gathering and Nathan at Boca Podcast, that's B-O-K-E-H Podcast on Instagram and reach out to us if you have any questions. As always, Mama, I am here rooting for you, and you are not alone on this journey. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Purpose Gathering Podcast. As we end our time together, remember that you were created for more. You can do hard things, and life is about more than just surviving. So go out there and live your life with confidence and courage. To become a part of our free online community and connect with like-minded mom photographers, head on over to thepurposegathering.com slash mamas. I'm so proud of you for listening and investing in your future. Together, let's link arms and make a lasting positive impact on our families and communities. You've got this girl, and I can't wait until next time.